What's cracking, big dogs? It's Monday morning, so we are diving behind the business of fantasy football. And today we have uh, a true big dog. We have the CEO of the Sleeper app, Nan Wang. The Sleeper app is is one that many of you at this point are using for your season-long leagues, your redraft leagues, and, and dynasty leagues as we start to move forward into the evolution of the fantasy industry. Now, Nan and Sleeper have been building this disruptive force, I, I guess you would say, in the tech industry and within the fantasy industry, something very new, something very groundbreaking, something very different than what's been going on in the industry up to this point. Nan is obviously a very successful founder and owner of this business up to this point. So what we talk about today is probably going to be a little bit over my head as well as your head, but it's going to be an interesting conversation. Uh, we're going to dive into the logistics of Sleeper and how they um, how they've grown up to this point so rapidly. We're going to talk about some of the things that they see within the fantasy industry and and the pivots they make and how they move quickly just based on what they're seeing within the industry. So it's going to be a lot of fun to to have this conversation. And uh, Nan, thank you for joining behind the business of fantasy football. Nick, thanks for having me. And to all the listeners out there, thank you guys for tuning in and for uh, being interested in what we're building. So what what you guys have built up to this point is kind of uh, like out of left field and you've taken on, you know, the heavy hitters in the space. I, I guess before we we dive into exactly what the sleeper app is, let's get a quick background of yourself from, uh, I guess, like an employment point of view. You know, what has led you to starting this app, whether it's, you know, do you have a tech background? Is it a finance background? Are you like management background? Let's let's get a little uh, behind the peak of, of what you got going on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so my, my personal background is just I'm a passionate sports fan that doesn't know how to code, doesn't know how to design. But luckily, uh, one of my best friends from childhood is my CTO and co-founder. And he's a full stack engineer and, uh, and a web designer who's been in the Bay Area ever since graduating college. I started off my career as a liberal arts major. So I was an environmental studies and economics major. Uh, spent some time in Africa uh, trying to do malaria research. Um, got chased down by an elephant on foot. Got stalked <laughs> by a hyena. Yeah, dead serious. <laughs> Thought I was going to die uh, if I stayed there much longer. And so I decided to come back and take a desk job, moved over to Boston and started my career in management consulting. Did a couple of years there. And right right around this time, I, my third year mark was when the financial crisis of 2008 and 2009 hit. There was just nothing to do in financial services. So I took some time off, went over to Asia to go watch the Rugby Sevens tournament in Hong Kong, fell in love with Hong Kong packed up my bags, moved out to Hong Kong, and then spent six years there uh, working in finance. Initially, it was it was supposed to be a one to two year stint, but you know you know how it is, time flies and when you're having fun. And uh, I spent my 20s in Hong Kong, basically doing private equity venture capital investing, did a short stint in Beijing, working for the Sovereign Wealth Fund of China. But I always had this calling that I wanted to work with my childhood friend. And so it was right around this point, I was 30 years old, where I gave him a call and said, hey, I think this is about the time where we should start linking up. You've got the experience in, in terms of engineering and web design. I could probably go raise a little bit of money for our ideas. Why don't we try to build something together? And so I quit my job, moved back to the Bay Area, slept on his couch, and that's how Sleeper was born. I love that. That's like the American dream at this point. Quit your job at 30, sleep on somebody's <laughs> couch, and, and make it successful. Not many. I mean, there aren't a ton of people that actually you know pull that off successfully. So it's caps off to you, and I'm, I'm glad you didn't die out there because we'd still be having to use you know the ESPN app and the apps out there that haven't developed quickly in the space. And that's what I love about sleepers. You guys are you're nimble. Uh, you're always pivoting, and it's something that I think a lot a lot of these like larger companies take a while to see the uh, the the movement of the industry and 
because there's so many people working in the companies, you know, you have to go through so many ranks in order to make slight changes. From my point of view, that's what you guys have done so, uh, so well, because as, as like individuals, we want things done very, very, very quickly. And uh, I'm interested, like you have an investing background. So you guys at Sleeper, the seed round was around $2 million. The A round was 5 mil. And then you guys just raised around $20 million for the B round. When you're raising investment money as someone that comes from an investing background, what do you do different? Is there anything that you do differently knowing that you're eventually going to have to raise money for your own company now, now that you're on like the other side of things? Are there things that you built within the business knowing that it'll attract investors? Or is it just like your comfort level being in the room with investors? So coming from the investment background, like what, what do you take? What lessons do you take from that side that you bring over to the other side of the fence as an owner? Yeah, I think the best way to raise money is not to focus on investors, but to focus on users. And it's really, really counterintuitive. I think a lot of people come in and try to do a startup thinking, how do I raise the next $5 million? And that's the goal that they have set out for them, you know, from day one. Whereas our goal when starting Sleeper was, how do we build a product that we want to use to replace the old products that we don't want to use? By focusing on that, talking to our users, the product eventually grew, which eventually attracted investors. Um, and so it was basically by focusing on customers first, it made fundraising infinitely easier for us, uh, you know, down the road. And I, and I say this because our seed round, we raised $2 million, but it took us about three years to do that. Uh, Sleeper started out of a garage with four friends. So it was me and my CTO. And we were able to convince two of our, you know, friends and his coworkers, his former coworkers to come and do nights and weekends. And that was the four founders that started Sleeper. And for us, it didn't start out as a, as a startup. It started out as a passion project amongst four buddies to replace all of the features in fantasy that we thought were inefficient or could be done better from a design perspective or it could be more customizable. And by building that product first, we were able to attract our first wave of users initially from Reddit, from podcast groups, from Facebook forums. And then we just listened and we talked to our users and we, we asked them what other features they wanted uh, what were they missing in their current experiences? And we just kept iterating and building. In parallel, I was out there trying to raise money, but we didn't have the traction to be able to justify. And so every single venture conversation I had, people were like, come back later, come back later, come back later. And so we spent the first two years basically essentially kind of scraping by with the limited finances we had. Uh, I put in personal capital, most of my net worth, way she put in some of his net worth. Uh, into just keeping servers afloat and, and and continuing to develop on nights and weekends. Uh, you know, my co-founder had his first kid the, the year we started our company. And so he couldn't afford to quit right away and uh, and come on. And so we just, we just phased it over time. But eventually, you know, the product started getting traction. When you focus on customers and you make them happy, they tell their friends and it continues to grow. And so our Series A didn't take us three years. It took us three months because there was a user base that was passionate about the product, using it for half an hour a day, staying on year over year. And now when you go into a, a, a meeting with a VC, they're, they're seeing metrics instead of just some vision without proof. Um, and so our Series A took three months. Our Series B took roughly three weeks as, as it continued to grow. And so I, the advice I'd give for anybody who's starting out is just to have a laser focus on making sure your customers are happy. Yeah, I love that. I, th I think that's uh, that's something similar to like content creation as well. I think when you start focusing strictly on giving value, you tend to build the audience a lot quicker. You tend to build a much more uh, loyal audience as well. I think a lot of people start to see the fantasy industry kind of blow up and 
from my perspective, you see a lot of content creators come out the gate and they want to, you know, launch their Patreon or start selling products. And Mike, that's the, the quickest tell to know that you're probably not going to make it is by wanting to jump out immediately, trying to monetize, trying to get money. Um, if, yeah. if, if your immediate, you know, if your immediate outlook is not to give value right away, you know, you're probably in the wrong place and people can sniff that stuff out. I'm curious from like a personal perspective, when you guys are rating, uh, raising series A, series B or whatever, how do you decide like when you want to raise money? Is it when you're like, running out of money from the last series? Is it when you spot a new growth initiative and you're like, we need a lot more money to, to make it happen? Is it a combination of two or how does that work? Yeah. The often quoted mantra in Silicon Valley is the best time to raise money is when you don't need money. And that's very true. People want to fund, VCs want to fund companies that are rocket ships that are already on their path to to basically dominance. And so it's much easier to have those conversations when you're in a position of growth as a, as opposed, as opposed to a position of need scarcity. And so don't wait until you're down to your like last one to two or three months of runway before you go out and test the waters for capital. Cause at that point people sense the desperation and chances are, if you, if you run into a bad VC, they'll lowball you. Um, and we, we had this happen to us actually in our series a, uh, where we had a VC basically come in, and we spent three months of diligence with them and they gave us a term sheet and it had all these bells and whistles. It had a, uh, a limitation on it where if we spent anything over $25,000 um, that it needed co-signing ability at the, at the VC level. And so effectively they became our boss when we were just you know six people at that point working out of a garage building cool products, but they sensed it. We had two months of runway left and we were going to be completely broke and Sleeper was gonna be running on fumes if we didn't take the capital. And so I went back to my co-founders and we're like, should we take this? Should we take this? You know, we're in a position where if we take it, we're kind of tying our hands behind our backs. But if we don't, we're running out of money. And everybody was like, no, don't take it. We'll work nights and weekends and continue to do that. If we have to, we love this product. We love our users. And so we turned it down. But that was a lesson learned for us is, is that we waited too long to go try to raise that money um, and people could suss, could suss that out. And so the best time to raise is not only when you don't need it, but also when you have a use for it. Uh, to unlock a new stage of, of growth or product development. And so our Series A, the raise was timed to be able to bring on more development and engineering talent. Uh, at that point, we were six people and we raised the Series A to bring more products to, to users. You know, it was just an alerts product at the time and we were getting ready to launch our leagues and we needed more firepower to do that. And the thought process was if we build better leagues that, you know, we'd get more users and we'd retain better. Um, and unlock a new stage of growth. And that was what the Series A was for. Series B, uh, we had proven out the ability to do it for football. We needed more firepower from a team perspective to add more products like basketball, eSports, March Madness brackets, baseball, hockey, soccer, uh, you know, down the road, uh, really to continue to focus on delivering all of the products that our users are telling us that they want um, and being able to do it faster. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, you, you could clearly see the... Uh the development that goes into the app is, is like all world. It's, it's a, it's a really, really interesting app. It's, you know, both physically, literally, but also I guess, uh, spiritually very colorful. You know what I mean? It's got a lot going on. There's a lot of bells and whistles to it. So I'm interested behind the, the, the actual design of the app. I've, I feel like some of it is to grab a bunch of different de uh, demographics age wise, catering to your demographics, probably of a, of a younger, um, age group, I'd imagine. 
this is something that that stands out immediately. Like you get on the app and you see something much different than you'd see on a lot of other apps. So I know you guys started off as sort of like a news outlet for this fantasy sports stuff. What, what was the inspiration behind the app? Both like, you know, physically the, the coloring of it and the way it functions, but also, you know, the, the technicality and, and the actual functions of the app. Yeah, ab- absolutely. This is a great question. And thank thank you for the compliment. That was uh, really appreciated. To understand the design of Sleeper, I think you have to think about and understand the ethos of why we started the company. For us, the mission of Sleeper is really to build the sports product that you can enjoy with your friends. And we believe that sports are inherently social. And it's it's about the friends and the conversations and the smack talk and the competition that really unlock every sports fan. And most products out there right now don't solve that. They're used in isolation. So you go onto a a sports website and you read an article by yourself. Uh, You play in a fantasy league on a competitor site. You don't really use their bulletin or their inbox or all your conversation goes on to text message, email, you know, WhatsApp or Facebook. You see a highlight and the first thing you want to do is post it onto Reddit. And so all of the conversation, all of the smack talk, all the long tail engagement, all of the most exciting moments are shared between people you care about. And it's that desire that we were building for. So everything you do on Sleeper has some, has some component of other people, whether it's a friend or a com- community aspect to it. That's why we built it as a chat messenger, messenger at its core, because the conversation is the focal point. Second, what we also wanted to do was build a sports product that was inclusive and that didn't feel intimidating. And this was based off of our own experiences as, as people. So we, we, what we found was every job we had, sports was always uh, a very easy water cooler conversation point to, to start talking to other people. Even at the bar, like people will reach out and say, oh, you're a Yankees fan? That's a cool Yankees hat. You know, what'd you think of the game last night? The problem with a lot of sports apps right now is that they tend to be really stat heavy or they tend to be really, really, really uh, in the weeds in sports and a little bit kind of intimidating to the casual fan so that when they jump in, they can't learn about the sport before they are able to enjoy it. And what we found is like anytime somebody is learning about a sport, whether a friend takes them to a baseball game and explains to them what an RBI is, or, you know, takes them to a football game and, you know, shows them how football is played, they end up getting hooked. And so our question to ourselves is how do we lower the barrier to participation through design and onboarding? How do we make the app basically seem like it's not just a sports app, but a social app so that people can come in and, and experience sports for the first time with the help of other people. Uh, that's why we have channels where people can go in and ask for start sit advice. It's why we have color coded statistics to show whether, you know, 4.3 yards per carry is good or bad relative to the position. It's why we have trending lists to help people figure out who to pick up uh, on, on waiver wire Tuesday. And it's why we deliver news so people can stay up to date on what's happening in sports to better inform their ability to compete and have fun in these leagues. And so all of those were really driven by this ethos of inclusivity, expanding sports to younger demographics, uh, to different genders, to different people that would have otherwise been ignored by other other sites. Um, And we also kind of took the steps to hire for that. And so design of sleeper is done by an, an extremely talented team of designers. Ha- like my hats go off to them, but most of them aren't diehard sports fans, which is really, really strange to think about, right? Most sports companies will go out there and hire, you know, people who have 10, 20 years of experience in sports designing specifically for sports. And you end up with a subset of products that really cater to 
specifically to diehard diehard fans and doesn't really reach casuals. And so we hired casuals to develop a product that has all the functionality that diehards want, but the simplicity and approachability that unlocks the casual market. And that's translated into a much younger user demographic. And it's also translated into a lot more females on our product than, than our competitors. It's really interesting that like you would, I would assume, you know, hiring UI UX people that don't necessarily know the sport inside and out would be a detriment to designing it because they would miss things or what's like the community. So how, how do you, how do you boil down the communication between the people who are building on the back end, the UI UX guys and the people who know sports within the company? What's the communication process like for that? For someone who doesn't, do they even need to know about sports stats and all these things to build this stuff out? Um, to start, no, that the, 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 the short answer is hire the smartest people in the room and they'll be able to figure it out. You know, our, our design team is extremely smart. Um, but more importantly, learning about sports is really not that hard. If you take the time to teach, you know, our, our design team came in and they weren't the biggest fantasy players, but by designing the product, they ended up playing in our fantasy leagues that they built and they quickly picked up the game and then they understood what other features they needed to help them win their leagues and they built those. And, and so it was kind of a virtuous cycle where we were proving out our own thesis and then implementing our own thesis simultaneously through that, through yeah, that it's process. Almost, it's, it's almost like when you're so deep in the, in the grit of what's going on and in the muck, you can't actually see it. So bring on someone yeah. who's not been playing fantasy for 20 years and doesn't understand the importance of this or that might see things more clearly, like might actually understand what's more important as of like recent trends. It, it's interesting that you guys kind of, you know, you start off with this idea of like what you wanted it to be very social and easy for any user to kind of pop on, start up a league and, and do whatever on there. But from where I'm sitting, like I'm, I'm very in tune, with the, in tune with the industry, obviously, in terms of like where users are going, what type of gameplay they want. And Dynasty Fantasy Football has become a really, really heavy anchor in the industry, especially like within my audience and within a lot more audiences within the space. And when you guys started, did you have any plans to start doing dynasty fantasy football stuff? Because you guys have quickly catered to a highly customizable league setting within dynasty fantasy football. And it's become a very, big, very big part of your platform. Now, someone who's in it all the time, like I'm, you know, conversing with my audience. So I know that they want dynasty content. I know what they're looking for on certain platforms. When you guys are building out these tools, you do a good job of listening on Twitter and making sure that you're hearing everybody kind of like yelling at you. I'm sure the email boxes, inboxes are just flooded with, with things that people want and features. How do you decide what to prioritize? And do you see a, a rising sense of these dynasty leagues? Because I would imagine they're taking more and more of a bigger percentage of the leagues that are on your platform. And I'm not sure if that's right or if it's just because my audience who is much like deeper into fantasy football than like the casual player is. What do you see in terms of like growth rate? How do you guys attack something like dynasty? That's probably different from where you started out. Yeah. Um, great question. I think the dynasty user base is extremely, extremely passionate about, uh, you know, fantasy and is the best place to mine for new ideas. And if you listen to the dynasty user, these are the folks that have looked at, you know, how to approach a league, how to design a league, how to customize a league, 360 degrees. Every nook and cranny has been uncovered. And so by speaking to these users, you get some of the best ideas. And you also get the most honest and direct feedback throughout the course of the year, which allows us to iterate and build products uh, on a 
you know, 365 degree cycle instead of just during the season. Um, and so it's been, it's been, it's been amazing. Like the partnership with dynasty users is one that we treasure and we value, you know, incredibly because it helps us really do our R and D um, as well as build the features that people want. Your casual user is not going to come out and say, Hey, I want X, Y, and Z. I don't, mm-hmm. I need like three way trades or I need a uh, fab budget bidding and stuff like that. Your casual users just using whoever, whatever their commissioner is telling them to use. But it's the dynasty user that's helping you pave the way for this next generation of features that really delight uh, every user. Um, and so we made it our priority to focus on dynasty from the start. Uh, and it's it's an area that has been e- extremely rewarding from a user growth perspective because because it's led to better product and better product eventually leads to winning the market outright. And so we will continue to invest in that. And that's why we maintain the same level of conversation throughout the year with all of our users, whether it's on intercom or it's on uh, Twitter or it's in our direct email boxes. But we we endeavor to try to respond as to, 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 to almost all of the questions that we get and all of the feature requests that we get. Um, some of these things take time though. Like we're still a small team, we're 23 people, but like everything that comes through those funnels in terms of feedback is mm-hmm. logged and it's discussed. And that's why we've been able to constantly improve the product every single year. So you have a, you have a history of all my tweets yelling at you guys basically. Yep. <laughs> okay, perfect. But yeah, I mean, you guys innovate so quickly and like the way I see it, you have season long, which has been around forever. DFS was the next thing that exploded in my eyes. Someone who's like very ingrained into the industry dynasty is, is really next up. And it, it's like fantastic that we have platforms like yours that do innovate quickly and do adapt to the user base. Cause there's really no other platforms that are doing it. I mean, you guys have competition, but like realistically they don't make changes. They really, they don't adapt to the user base, the market. They kind of put out what they have and they've stayed steady with what they have. And eventually you guys keep adapting to the user interface and you know, people want more, more and more customizable leagues. And if those platforms don't adapt to it, they're going to start moving to, uh, you know, platforms like sleeper. And then you guys will start taking their season long leagues as well. So it's a, it's a really, really interesting spot you guys are in. And like the ceiling is, is, is crazy high because you can start, you know, you're in like a really good spot for, for user acquisition, I would say, cause you can start, it's also like a very interesting industry from a user acquisition standpoint, because once you bring over, like, like one of the very few industries where you bring one person over, you're kind of bringing over like 10 other users at the same time. So, you know, when you're planning for that, it's almost like growth is exponential. And I actually want to bring up a quote that you said during one of, uh, I think it was an article probably in TechCrunch is the user acquisition window for fantasy football leagues is strongest from the second week of August until the first week of September. Historically, we've seen that about 70% of users create their leagues in that three week window. And as a content creator that caters very primarily to the season long fantasy player, my growth and the revenue that we make is is pretty much you know parallel to exactly what you said and i know during that time i'm like we have to be all systems go we have to make sure every part of our website is good we have to make sure our best content with our best seo like everything's ready to go for that month span because we know growth is exponential there do you guys do anything different within the sleeper headquarters maybe you know hiring contractors to help the work over like what, what do you guys do when you know that that time of the year is coming up yeah it's a, it's a great question and uh we what we do is we just make better product and so we we invest the entire non three-week acquisition window to making sure that the product is better and we focus on talking to our dynasty users throughout the year so that they compound even before that window hits so that's one of the beauties of dynasty is you could you could spin up a dynasty league any time of the year 
And so now we're not beholden to just August in the first week of September for user acquisition while we're continuing to improve the product. And by the time the user acquisition window comes around, we're going to the market and saying, hey, existing users, we've added 16 different new functionalities to Sleeper, all of which you've been you know, asking for. Start a league on here, invite your friends. And, and it just compounds from there. You know, Sports is one of the highest or the most competitive uh, arenas for user acquisition because everybody is spending in the space. Like it happened during the DFS craze where nearly a billion dollars was pumped into advertising and people were paying upwards of you know, 600 to $800 per user on, on the DFS sites. Meanwhile, at Sleeper, we're like, okay, let's, let's figure out how to do this in a different way. Let's do it by delivering happiness to our existing users so that they tell their friends and they invite other people to start leagues. And every time they start a league, they invite 11 other people, so it's exponential. And so we've gotten to the point where we're from a monthly active user base. We're basically twice the size of DraftKings already. Uh, and we've spent less than a million dollars in marketing. That's and, so, <laughs> and so it's really just focusing on making sure that your product is the best in class and eventually letting that do most of the kind of lifting. Yeah, it's, that's pretty incredible. One of, one of the things that I found interesting in terms of like user acquisition that you guys do each year and that I tune into is you have this basically celebrity fantasy football league. And I know it through the fantasy footballers because, you know, they're, they're people that I know within the network and they're friends of mine. But this league is filled with with, with studs, right? It's Zach Efron, it's Juju, it's it's Carl uh, Anthony Towns, I think. And, you know, just a bunch of celebrities that have such a, a wide audience and can grasp so many people. So I'm interested when when I'm looking at that league, I want to know the intent behind that league because obviously you can fill that league like you're sleeper so you can if you can get the fantasy footballers you can get any content creator within the space you can get the biggest 10 or the biggest 12 creators and basically get every eyeball of those audiences in the same place at one point instead you chose to grab these other celebrities that have a, a much bigger audience of course but might not actually be your specific target audience so I'm curious the intent behind going with the bigger audiences versus the target audience. And uh, what have, I guess, you've seen from those types of leagues? I think it's two years you guys have run them, or is it, has it been three? Two? Two. two. Okay. Yeah, and, and that's just one of the leagues, one of the celebrity leagues that happen on Sleeper. And, and the beauty of those leagues is they're pretty organic, so we, we aren't paying folks to do it. It's just they, they come together and they invite their friends who they think they, li they, they, they like fantasy. Uh, and would be competitive in. And then we contributed to the charity of the winner of choice. And it all came out of a natural discussion. So like we don't pay Ninja, we don't pay Zac Efron. And those guys are just, they're they're diehard sports fans and they're competitive. Ninja is competitive as hell. And he just wants to win. Mm -hmm. uh, same with Carl Towns and Juju and these guys. There's other leagues on our platform that, that aren't kind of getting the same level of publicity because they're not promoting it. But Baron Davis has a bunch of leagues on the platform with, NBA players with with Turtle from Entourage in one of his leagues. I ran into Carmelo Anthony at an event a couple of years ago, and he's like, "I love Sleeper. I use it for my leagues." And it's it's really just because the product is good, and and they want to play it with their their friends. And the Juju one just just so happened to align because there was something interesting to do for charity, and we decided to put our names behind it. And so we've donated uh, both years to the winner's charity of choice. Um, it was St. Jude's Children's Hospital and then kind of uh, kind of a, a shelter in, in North Carolina because Danny Duncan won the league last year. And so it, it's all for good causes and it's 
backed by great people who just genuinely want to have fun. That's pretty wild. I didn't I didn't know that you guys didn't pay any of them to, to be in the league, but I think that's also such a, uh, a good sign of future success is the fact that you've built something up so organically and obviously it's just purely giving value to the audience and that's why they're kind of obsessed with it. But I also, you know, at, at some point, obviously you run a business, so you need to be able to monetize these things for your investors and whatnot. I'm curious, like what you guys have in store, your plans to monetize. Now you've released like the mascots and things like that. So we, we can break those down. Um, I'm curious on the whole advertiser thought process. Uh, I also want to get your thoughts on getting licenses to actually run paid leagues on Sleeper. I know that's a whole like legal mess going state by state in the regulations. What is at the forefront for monetization plans for uh, for a company like Sleeper? Yeah, I think monetization is still not top of mind for us. Uh, and this goes back to your point earlier about the wrong approach to building a company is trying to figure out how to you know, make a buck off of a user. And we've been approached in the past to be able to put advertisements into Sleeper as well as run affiliate deals to DFS sites. And we've turned all of those down. It would have been quick wins and brought cash into the company's banks, but it would have really hurt the overall user experience by doing so. And so we've kind of shied away from doing that. The reason why we introduced mascots is actually a couple. One is really we wanted to make the product a little bit more immersive and not just about kind of stats and scores moving across the page, but also an incentivized smack talk via taunting. And we felt that the smack talk on game day with your friends is actually like the most hilarious part about fantasy. But we also wanted to reach out to a more kind of younger casual demographic in addition to that by giving them the kind of experiences they're, they're familiar with in the esports world. And so that that's kind of the primary motivation around mascots. And they just so happen to also help cover our, our server costs and some of our development in the interim. So it's a, it's a win, win, win. This year, we're actually rolling out what we found was like some of the really, really, really diehard sports fans don't necessarily love mascots. So we're just, we're again, going to listen to users and give the ability for people who like it to continue to use it and the people who don't the ability to hide it. All of our product decisions are, are laser focused on what we're hearing from our fans. And it's not driven by kind of the need to monetize or to kind of, uh, try to bring in additional cash. That's the beauty of venture capital financing. It allows us to, to delay that decision for a little bit. Yeah, it's interesting because I'd imagine most investors when you try to, I mean, you've built up something where you don't necessarily have to pitch investors anymore. They already believe in your idea, but upfront, if you're coming in with a plan not to monetize off the bat, I'd imagine you get a lot of uh, funny looks at you, right? <laughs> you have to really find long-term thinking investors and not everyone fits that bill. We've been very fortunate to get you know the folks like, uh, Andreessen Horowitz and General Catalyst, Birchmere Ventures, Rainfall Ventures, as well as founders who've really built amazing businesses. So like the founder of Twitch is an investor, the founder of NerdWallet, one of the founders of Uber. And so these are folks that understand that building long lasting businesses take time. And eventually, if you can focus on a long term vision and making people happy, more people come onto your platform and eventually you'll find a way to monetize. There's certain companies that deliver amazing value and have never monetized or don't have monetization. WhatsApp is an example. Facebook acquired for $18 billion and is a strategic gem in Facebook's portfolio. But what they focused on was how do we make it so that people can call their friends for free and seamlessly SMS and text message for free. By doing that, they've reached over a billion people around the world. With with mm -hmm. Facebook acquiring WhatsApp, and I could be totally wrong here, but wouldn't Facebook acquire a company like WhatsApp for like the user information in a sense so they can use it for like running advertisements on their platform or whatever? 
as opposed to like it, sleeper it's not like you guys are selling your users information anywhere i mean it, it, it's a combination of things right so facebook had originally thought about acquiring a lot of these portfolio companies for information but ultimately i think there were uh you know walls set up to not kind of hurt that experience but two it's also defensive if whatsapp grew to a billion users and layered on photos and kind of all this other stuff then it basically could be what WeChat is in China, the next social network, right? And it would basically kill Facebook mm -hmm. if that vision came to reality. For Sleeper, if we were sitting on, say, like 100 million sports fans, and we decided to get into the content game, right? We wanted to publish our first person articles, dissecting games. We wanted to get into highlights. We wanted to get into podcasting. What do we disrupt? We disrupt ESPN. $40, 50000000000 yeah. billion dollar business. It was literally my and next so, question. Sorry to cut you off, but I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very passionate about someone who, you know, I create content. It's a, it, it's my background, you know, about the tech and the finance and the startup world and stuff, but I also see such an opportunity for creating a business and creating such a loyal foundation through content. I was kind of curious as someone who obviously understands the way the industry works and understands the way like business works in 2020 and 2021. How come you guys don't have more of a content plan? Is that something that you, you know, I've clearly you've thought about and, and talked about within the team. <laughs> How come you guys don't put out like native or at least not at a high level or a high volume native content on your, on your platform or on YouTube or any of these platforms? Yeah, it's uh, it's something that we want to do, but it's also recognizing your own kind of strengths and weaknesses. Mm -hmm. And I know that most people don't want to sit there for an hour listening to me talk. <laughs> I'll probably put them to sleep. And I'm not the best. I'm not the best writer. You know, most of our team, what our strengths are, are building, you know, elegant designs and well-functioning kind of computer software and mobile apps. And we're looking for partners that are great mm -hmm. content creators. Eventually, what we want to do is create a platform that allows them to build their audience and engagement in in new ways because what does sleeper offer sleeper offers real-time chat and engagement with your audience and it's got a channel architecture that allows us to support that eventually i think if we're able to kind of invest in the tools for content creators to be able to sit on that and and to truly build loyal kind of fan bases through their content that's really interesting for us but me in front of a mic probably isn't going to happen unless it's kind of these one-off interviews yeah. See, that's, that's what I'm thinking is like, I mean, you guys have enough leverage that you ask any creator in the space to come on and make content for your platform. Like you have the users, I'm sure anyone would be, would be happy to do it. And, and as a business who, I mean, you guys at this point are kind of cutting out the middlemen and you're creating the fantasy leagues, cutting out the WhatsApp and the group me's and, and making the chat part of what it is. You're putting the news within it. I feel like it would make a lot of sense to cut out one more middleman, cut out YouTube, cut out podcast platform, cut out the the blogs out there and deliver that. And you guys kind of monopolize the fantasy football audience in a sense. So, I mean, that makes uh, that makes a lot of sense. I, I think that's definitely something you guys should be looking into as you obviously already are. Yeah. And eventually it's all driven by this desire to make things easier for the user. It's like, what do I need to jump around from place to place where... I can have my podcast content here engage directly with a prod podcaster or read an article and immediately talk to people or a community about it. I think you've probably used our alerts mm -hmm. and it's, it's creating that, that feeling. Anytime a push notification of alert goes out, it creates an instant pub like environment with like hundreds of thousands of people. And it's not even about the comments at that point. It's just about knowing that other people are there enjoying it with you. The hilarity that, that brings with it. Yeah. Imagine that with a podcast episode. Yeah, right. like you're talking about something, you're dropping your podcast now. Everybody's jumping in, listening, talking about it, reacting to it, asking questions. That's kind of the behavior that we'll ultimately be building for. Yeah, exactly. You're you're completely just cutting out the podcast app or the YouTube app, and it's it's uh it's really interesting to think about like long term. 
And and I thought something else that was funny was uh, in one of your interviews, you mentioned that like your favorite leagues to play in are ones that have pretty intense like punishments. And, you know, it's not necessarily about the buy-in. doesn't matter if it's free or $20, $50. I find myself thinking the same way. You know, the, the punishment leagues are so much fun because you don't really care about first, second place, but you're intensely making sure that you don't get last place. And I feel like that's an opportunity for Sleeper to capitalize on almost almost like user submitted user submitted content obviously you guys would have to sift through it but like the notifications you guys send out it'd be funny if you featured like uh you featured a, a punishment of the week throughout the off season right like someone they send in like a video of something that happened and what that would do is obviously drive engagement throughout the off season but those have the, the that type of content just naturally has a lot of virality to it right so if like if someone wanted to watch the punishment, they send it to their friends or something like they would have to get onto or, or download the sleeper app. Have you guys thought about having like user submitted uh, content be part of it? I know you guys obviously shoot out like you've actually shot out a few of my tweets as like notifications in the channels before, which is really cool. And those get a lot of engagement. Have you thought about like expanding on that? Yeah, I, I think the next stage of the company is we're going to start hiring out, hiring for a content team to really kind of build that part of the business mm -hmm. and to do it in a way where it's more UGC than user generated content than kind of in-house studio. Cause what I fundamentally believe is that there are an incredibly talented number, a number of incredibly talented content creators out there that just don't have a chance or a platform. You're people like you, like people on social media, creating Instagram memes, people who are, you know, slicing and dicing, highlights and putting their spin on it on YouTube, like flight, the folks like house of highlights before they got discovered by Bleacher Report. There's so many of those types of creators out there that just need a, a way and an outlet to be able to engage an audience and a, a, a platform that believes in them where there isn't kind of a ceiling, right? They're not trying to compete for a skip and Shannon spot or like to replace Stephen A. Smith. And I think there's something there. We, we just need to kind of continue to build out the user base. I think we're a little bit too early to launch that, but long-term content is going to be very important and integral part of what we're, we're, we're building. Yeah, it'd be, I, I'd, uh, it's funny just thinking about what a, what a sleeper, um, like in-house content studio might look like. I'd imagine, uh, I'd imagine like something like Nickelodeon would, would put together. Yeah, we, we talked about this. We were, we were thinking about putting like AstroTurf on the ground and like having a full court basketball court. <laughs> Eventually when we get to that stage and a, a, a tilt room, when you lose your, uh, when you lose your fantasy league and it'll be stocked with like fruit and a baseball bat so you can go smash <laughs> stuff. But yeah, it'll be a fun environment. Yeah, that, that's cool. I mean, honestly, I, I would say sooner rather than later, man, the content game is uh, it's crowded out there. It's hard to stand out. All right. So I know you have a, a hard stop in about five, 10 minutes in, in, in the corporate world. That means, you know, he's, he's got a meeting. He's a busy man. So we'll get to the last <laughs> couple questions. I don't know if I sent this one over to you, but question I ask a lot of the guests on this show is... Um, Best purchase you've personally made under a hundred dollars? Oh, that's a good question. Let me think about that. Best purchase I've ever made under a hundred dollars. It's hard for me to answer that for like my lifetime, but over the last year, it's been this uh, back massager. It's, it's off of Amazon, and it's mm -hmm. got little like it almost like looks like a stegosaurus in terms of its ridges. But I, I sit in my desk all day, every day, work and conference calls, especially now that, you know, COVID has prevented us from being able to go out, you know, being in one position does a number on, on your back. And so getting that over the past couple of months has been good because I've been able to stretch out and it, it's, it's awesome. I think it's like 15 bucks on Amazon. Yeah. That's the thing that pops up immediately to mind. I have one more question. 
one more question. Sure. This is a personal, you know, this is this is a selfish question, I guess I would say. Someone like myself in my position as like a content creator who has built up a little bit of an audience and is starting to look at things from a, a scaling perspective in the media landscape of things, you know, where I sit, which is mostly in the fantasy football industry. Do you have any advice for someone like me? I mean, it could really be anything. It could be financial. It could be weighted towards scaling. It could be, you know, building whatever it is, like any piece of advice you'd have for someone in my position. Good question. I think there's a couple pieces of advice. One is let what got you into this space continue to drive your continued investment in the space. I imagine that you got into, you know, podcasting and started BDGE because it came from a passion for sports. Mm -hmm. And I think when you focus on that, your content will always be genuine and true and people will relate to it and they will find it and they will resonate with it. The moment you kind of lose sight of that is when you lose your value prop and people can sniff that from a mile away. Second, I would say is be differentiated in, in terms of your personality or your kind of content that you're providing. Like what's, what's the, if you could, if you could sum yourself in a cartoon character, which character would it be? Right. And why is that different than uh, somebody else in terms of personality traits or content that you deliver? And then third, I would say, look for opportunities to collaborate because I think the fastest growing social media accounts worked and played well with others. Uh, especially on YouTube, like, I mean, you see it all over the place with people jumping onto different people's channels and, and cross pollinating user bases. It's all about kind of exposure nowadays and don't leave all of that exposure up to Facebook's algorithm or YouTube's algorithm. Mm -hmm. uh, do a little bit of the business development yourself so that you can kind of reach a wider audience. Yeah. I think, I think those would be the three points that I would give. Yeah, that's fantastic advice. And I completely agree with it. It's why I do content like this. Cause I'm, I'm extremely, as I've grown, I've been extremely passionate about you know, learning about branding and, and marketing and the social side of things. So I, I try to put everything that I'm passionate about in the real world into my content. So I do try to differentiate from fantasy football, which, you know, as these other things start to take a little bit more um, of my time and my interest, you know, fantasy goes down a little bit, but I try to keep that passion in other sides of things. And I think that's extremely, extremely important for other content creators out there not to you know, put themselves in a box and not to think they need to do one thing or the other. As soon as you start feeling strongly about a different subject or a different topic or whatever, you know, attack that exactly how you attacked the beginning of whatever you were starting. So that's um, really, 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 really sound advice. I really, really appreciate you coming on today, Nan. This was a, an extremely valuable conversation for me and hopefully the audience enjoyed it. As always, hit the thumbs up. If you did, make sure you start your sleeper app, open it, start a dynasty league. We'll get them going. We'll link it right down below. Make sure you're following Sleeper on Twitter. Nan, I tried to find your Twitter, but I'm, I'm assuming you, you're not really active and, and yelling about things on there. Not personally. It's mostly through our Sleeper HQ account. Okay. So you heard the man. Make sure you're following their uh, Sleeper HQ accounts. If you have any problems, <laughs> make sure you yell at them on Twitter, as I will continue <laughs> to do so as well. Constructive criticism always. Please yes. play nicely out there on the uh, on the internet. And uh, thanks again for, for joining us, Nan. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Nick, for having us. And thank you to all the listeners out there. Really appreciate everybody's passion for this space and continued support of Sleeper. Thanks again. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently 
To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T R Y L I F E M D.com.